This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. It's just great to see some faces back again and some new people. We're busy with a series called um, Is There Not a Cause? And tonight is the last one on a series of six sessions. So let me just see how many of you have not been to one of them. This is like the first time you're coming. Okay, one or two or three or four or five. Okay, so I'm not going to repeat all of that, but you're welcome to go online or uh, to catch up. And this is... um, just to give you the reference in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28 to 30. That's when um, David comes onto the scene and then his older, oldest brother, Eliab, sort of just looks at him and he, he snarls at him or he accuses him on three things. And he says to him, you know, what are you doing here? Why did you come down here? Whom have you left those sheep with? Meaning you, firstly, you don't belong. You don't have an identity. The second thing is, you're very insignificant. Whatever you're doing doesn't really matter to God, to anybody around you. And then he came the big one. He attacked the issue of his heart. He said, the motivation of your heart. You're so rich that God never wants to use somebody like you. You know, God can't use them. But I've noticed that over all the years, God uses ordinary people that says, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. And then he starts to work in you, and then he works through you. A process. It's called the process of salvation. We get saved by committing, by being born again. But then there's a whole process, a lifelong process of sanctification and uh, of just surrendering to him. And then we looked at this, this idea that in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out these 70, and uh, he sent them from a place of intimacy. He sent them in agreement. You're never supposed to go on your own. He sent them and he appointed them two by two before his place, into every place where he himself was about to go. And then he says to God, when you're going to the city, don't get distracted. He said in such a way, at the end he says, carry no money bag, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. He says, be intentional, be urgent about your life, because you have one shot at it, you have one life. <laughs> That doesn't mean you need to strive or perform with God because we can't earn our salvation. Amen? It's not about striving or doing more for God, but it's about being intentional. And that's why, as a Christian, obedience and faith is what pleases God. Because it's going to be different for you than for me. And, um, you know, sometimes we make the mistake of sharing these amazing testimonies, but you must know that some of these testimonies came over 30 years and that's why you know that I love what they asked when they asked Smith Wigglesworth and they said Smith um, wow so many people rose from the dead when you prayed for them and then Smith looked and he said well uh, yeah if you prayed for so many dead corpses like I did at least some of them had to rise from the dead you know <laughs> he saw 50 people rise from the dead through Jesus ministering through him and so, but he said, I never stop praying. But we must sometimes tell people that, hey, you're all going to pray. And then sometimes things are not going to work out. But that doesn't change anything about who God is, about his faithfulness and his goodness. So I want to say to you, never stop trying. Never stop praying. Don't form your doctrines and your ideologies and stuff around the stuff that didn't work out. Form it around scripture, what Jesus says, okay? Because he cannot lie, I mean. 
Thank you for your enthusiasm, especially in the middle block of a year. I really appreciate that. So then uh, John Yip blew our minds away with a primary purpose and a secondary purpose. If you are uh, on a show for a Stellenbosch info group, which you are supposed to be on when you come to church, uh, you would have found that. How do I discover my primary purpose? How do I discover my secondary purpose? And then he sent a 17-page list that you can fill in that will help you a bit. Just to think like, okay, yes, we have a creation commandment, a great commandment, and a great commission to live out. But each one of us have been called to do different things from that place of knowing God, of living out in that space of saying, okay, maybe I can be a doctor, or maybe I can minister to people in other places as well. And so that's you in the context of where God has called you in the culture. And so then we looked at 11 things of being intentional intentional people or urgent people people that are focused on what god has called them to do they're not driven they're not trying to perform nothing that you do on the outside can show you your identity it's only jesus you only find your righteousness in him so we only do things for him because it flows out of a place of being with him never do stuff and tell people about christ until you've been first with christ we represent him. Why? Because we've been with him. Because we have intimacy with him. Because we worship him. Because he fills us and he gives us a hope and a peace and a joy that is not determined by our outside circumstances. And that's why when we look at the books that Paul wrote, most of them were written in prison. Philippians 4, you know, we love to quote Philippians 4 verse 13 and 19 that says, Hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 19, my God shall supply all my needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. <laughs> and then you realize like, oh, he sat in chains as he wrote that. My God shall supply in all my needs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ooh. <laughs> you know, sometimes we quote these scriptures like in Jeremiah. Oh, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Plans of to give you a future and a hope, you know, and then you think like, okay, what is the context of what God gave that scripture in? It's just before he sends the Jews into exile, into slavery for more than 50 years. He says, I've got plans for you, but here you go. <laughs> Be careful what verses you quote, okay? <laughs> Be very careful. You know, we like those little, I used to have this bread thing, you know, this little bread boxy and then you take a scripture sometimes you just feel like well i don't know if you've ever read scripture like this but you go like the shepherd shall strike oh that is definitely not for me that is for peter oh the lovely one the most amazing one i will bring you out and rejoice him out oh that's for me yeah <laughs> Whew. No, these tough scriptures are not for me. It's for the church around the corner, you know. God never speaks like that, you know. He always talks in uh, love languages. But um, So we looked at intentional people that live lives. They're disciplined. They're simplistic. They're always thankful. I told you the story of how I took this guy up the mountain and I just decided, because this guy's always negative, always like criticizing, and I just decided from when I get into the car, I'm going to just start to be thankful. So I said, I just, this is amazing. The fact that we can drive this car. And so after 15 minutes, he looked up at the mountain and I says, 
Wow, I've been living here for so long and I didn't recognize how beautiful the mountains are. And I thought like, okay, this is a setup. You've fallen into the trap, <laughs> you know. Because we get overwhelmed by the negativity in our lives, by the government and this and the whatever. But intentional people are content and teachable. They're submitting to the fear of God. We have more the fear of God than the fear of man. We are eternally minded. We have healthy relational boundaries. We live by obedience because that's a form of worship. Scripture says you can stand up here and you can jump up and down and have all these nice worship songs, but you need to re realize tomorrow morning in your studies, that's also worship. How do you respond when bad things happen to you? How do you, you know, and um, it's always amazing. I'm, I'm a pastor, you know. At the moment when you say you're a pastor, immediately you must look at the reactions, you know. So I told the story once, but I, I, I walked around the corner and there was this guy in church standing with a cigarette. And so he's, he's, he's like really going for it, you know. I thought it's like a felt fire somewhere in Yonkazook. But in any case, so, so he's like smoking. And the next moment, he sees me come around the corner and, you, and then he goes like... Then he looks at the cigarette and I kid you not, he throws it into his top pocket. <laughs> and there he stands. And I come and I greet the guy. Oh, I almost said his name. So, so I begin to talk to him. And the next moment, uh, the smoke starts coming out of the pocket. And I look and I say, but um, there's a cigarette in your pocket. Um, it's burning this beautiful shirt of, you, you, of yours, you know. And, um, and he says, no, there's no cigarette. So eventually, it burns a hole through the pocket. And he just stands there. He's in complete denial. He's in the middle of Egypt at the river, and he's drowning in the Nile. Okay, that's a flow joke. But in any case, so <laughs> he completely ignores the fact that the cigarette is burning. And I'm thinking like, can I take it out for you, you know? And I'm, uh, eventually, I take the cigarette out. I throw it on a stamp on it, and he's still in complete denial. And I'm thinking like... You know, just be real. <laughs> you know? uh, but it's amazing when you're a pastor. The moment when you say you're a pastor, whoo, then people like, you know, especially at weddings, you should, you know, men go to the toilet differently than ladies, but we have these cribs that we stand, you know. And so after I've preached or before I've preached, sometimes I go to the toilet and people are like, yeah, yeah, look, look, we're going to drink tonight. And then they see me stand up front at the wedding preaching. And then they do like circles around you, you know. It's like waves. They go like a kilometer to get to the toilet again. Yeah? And I think like, wow, yeah? But you know how many times we do that with God? We actually pretend, we actually make as if God does not know what's going on in your heart. As if he didn't know what you did Wednesday. He knows everything. But the amazing thing about knowing God is the fact that he will never force himself on you. He will never... Say, so, oh, he's waiting for you to respond. And the Bible says it's like the pearl of greatest price. If you've come to this field and you realize there's a pearl, there's a hidden gem, there's a treasure, and you sell everything to go and buy that piece of land, then it's not about cigarette or not cigarette. It's about the revelation of who Christ is. 
And the reason why many people don't give up on their sins is simply because they've not seen the man with fire in his eyes. We can be so involved in trying to perform and all that stuff, but, but once you've seen, once God has given you that revelation, and you must look at the journey that Jesus walked with his disciples, because at a stage he asked them in Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 18, he says, do you, who, who did the people say I am? And they all said, well, you're the Elijah, you're John, you're this, you're this. And then he turns around and says, but, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter sort of steps back. He says, but you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ means the anointed one with the Holy Spirit. The Son of the living God. Not a dead God. Not a God up there. Not a God that is far removed. It's a real God. And that wants to be personally involved in your life. And then Peter turns around and he says, but wow, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind will be bound and whatever you loose will be loosed. But he says, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you. We live in an intellectual town. We live in a town where people determine so much about their identity on the outside, what you drive, where you go on holiday, what happened to you, good or bad stuff. Or, there's so many stuff. We, it's so easy. This town is more divided than most towns in the world. And the reason why people find idolatry in their intellect or in their experience is simply because they've just not seen Christ. But once you see him, you're going to let go of all the things, you know. One of my children one day came running, and the person was very small, came running into the room with my glasses, and this thing was bent back. The one arm was bent back, and I thought, like, oh, crazy. This is going to break now because we're going to wrestle for it, you know. And then I thought, like, wow, let me trick the child. Because I saw this big fizzer. You know what a fizzer is? The thing that you like, but you actually don't like it, you know. Once you've eaten it, it's nice, but as it's in your mouth, it's like, uh, you know, it's like fizzing. But so, I took the fizzer and I just waved the fizzer like this. And I say, you give me that and I give you this. <laughs> and the exchange was so easy. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is if you see who Christ is, you will let go of everything else. Then he's not a spoil sport or the man upstairs. And so that's what we do as intentional people. We show people who Christ is. But we, be, we are people that are led by the Holy Spirit. And we cannot do, we cannot live in the cause of Christ and fulfill the cause of Christ. The mandate that he has to show a broken world out there that he lives and that he's alive if the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. If we don't have a living relationship, constant relationship, everyday relationship with God. Now, I worked as a financial manager, and many times, it is actually so funny, there was a, there was a couple of people, and here in the Cape, some people love their fish and chips, okay? They love to bring their fish and chips to lunch. So when 
Lunch happens, the whole place, and I had about 12 or 14 people working under me in, in the finance department from cleaners, different type of people. And so, so we had this whole area where we could sit over lunch, but I had a, quite a small office. And then all 12 or 14 would come and sit in my office with their fish and chips. And I remember there was this big lady, beautiful lady. She had such a good heart, but she was quite huge. So she would sit like three spaces full. But in any case, so she would come and sit there in the office and she says, Hey, this is so peaceful here in your office. But everyone was so crowded and everything. And it was like, oh, you know, and then uh, for three hours, just, you know, that old oil that you can't get the smell out of, out of the air. <laughs> That was there because of this, all the fish and chips. And so everyone was sitting there. And I realized, do you know why they love my office so much? And not go and sit in the lounge? Because every morning, before I get into that office, I, close the, I get in, I close the door, and I say, Holy Spirit, in this place, I want you to touch people. I want, I want you to minister to people. I want people, when they walk over that door, I want them to experience you in a way that they've never experienced you. Amen. And it's amazing how the peace of God, how the, you know, eventually when I left the, the workplace and the, the CEO of the company tried to give me double my salary and all that stuff, and I said, no, you know, I, I'm, God has called me to go and preach the gospel. And he said, then he said the weirdest thing to me, he says, do you know what, from when you walked in here, I knew that. And then he started to give me a lowdown. Now, this guy was not a Christian. He said, I know that you have been praying. Because it was myself and a mechanic that was praying. We had 300 people in the company, but only the two of us would pitch. And for two years, we just prayed in the place. He says, this company doubled its turn, uh, uh, turnover every year because of your prayers. I'm saying, I think like, I never told him. I never, we just prayed here in the backyard, you know. And then he put out a list of all the stuff that he's going to change in the company. And he said, it's because of conviction. And I thought, but I didn't even preach at him. There was only one moment when he came to me, and that was right at the beginning when he said, hey, I, I want, you know how these people work? Is we, we're going to give you a tax allowance, but it's not actually a tax allowance. And, and so we're gonna, this is what, how everybody does it. You know? We're going to sort of like just go through the backyard. And I said to him, uh, sir, I have lots of respect for you, but please, I will not crook with taxes. I will pay my taxes. And he said, what? I said, Sorry. And then within two years, I actually got three times more increases than anyone in the company. Because I decided to honor God, and I'm working for Him more than what I'm working for somebody else. I'm sharing those things because sometimes we switch God off when it comes to our workplace or our studies or our relationships. We say, no, no, God, you're not welcome here. I'm in control. But Sunday night, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to be a worshiper. Ooh. From dust to dust. Oh, this is quite a great experience. Mm. Wonderful. I feel good. And then you go on and on. But if you, you can fall on the ground, but if you don't change. And that's what we saw in Luke 4 verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into 
the wilderness. Leading of the Holy Spirit is not just for experiences, but it's mostly for growth. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to confront the devil, to be tested. Then we saw in Acts 10 how Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you some very simple promises. And, it, and it's so simple, but it's so profound because most of the church in the West, and even churches like us, we have this inheritance. It's called Pentecost, and yet people don't live in that space of what God has given us. But there's a promise, and that promise Jesus gave so clearly in John 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Imagine him standing here at the feast, and he's saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's how you must read scripture, because he shouted, okay? So it's not like... Oh, those who, if anyone has thirst, let him come to me. Sometimes we get so dignified in the presence of God. But I love what Um Reinhard Bunker says. He says, dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Oh, there was not too many amens there, but in any case. Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power. That word is dunamus. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power, dynamite, explosive power in your life. But do you know how easy it is just to, to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit? And that's when we just, just say, okay, no, no Lord, I'm just going to ignore you. you you're like a... You're like a picture on the wall. And, 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 and stay there, you know. I'll, I'll take you out when, when I feel comfortable. But I've seen it so many times. I remember being at this conference in the Tel. And as we're sitting in the spur, the Lord gives me a word of knowledge for the waiter, the guy bringing the food. And I say, uh, sorry, guy, but I have, a, I have a problem. God is bugging me about something in your life. And he says, What's it? I say, you have a brother that ran away over this weekend. It's now Tuesday and you're still looking for him. God knows where he is. But you need to bring your heart back to God and we're going to pray that he returns. And the guy goes like. You know, there's that thing called a friend. But he fell on his knees and he started to say like, I'm desperate. Oh, then church happened in the spur. Because eventually, all the waiters came. Everyone wanted prayer. We prayed for nine waiters. Eventually, the manager came. We said, sorry, sir, we're disrupting your meeting a little, your restaurant a little bit. And so one of the guys that was with us, eventually the guy who made the patties, you know, on that fryer thing with the flame, he came as well. So we sent one of the students to go and make the patties while we pray for him. The manager ran outside. There's 30 people lining up and everybody wants prayer. And they're just like, wow, we, this is real, you know. But you know, most of us don't think that God actually wants to minister to the people at the spur or at the petrol station. or Because we get so busy on doing our own thing. 
We get so busy to run to our next appointment that we miss the opportunity God gives us along the way. There's so many examples where Philip woke up one morning and the Holy Spirit says to him, run, run out to the desert. Now imagine that. What? He runs out to the desert. Here he gets this Ethiopian eunuch sitting there reading scripture and he says, I want to talk to you about that scripture. He tells him what the scripture is that he reads and that he ministers to him. He baptizes the guy. Eventually, the Bible says and the, the culture says that that guy went back to northern Africa and that whole area changed because of Philip being obedient running out to the wilderness. Sure. But that's the story of the Bible, is it not? A people that have the promise of God. What's God's promise over your life? What's God's promise over my life? Now, if you forget the promises, it's God doesn't forget the promise, but do you know what we forget? I always tell the guys at these weddings that we do over weekends, I said to Abs today while he's standing, I said, look here, you better know one thing, that ladies have a short-term memory loss. You can tell her today you love her, tomorrow she's forgotten. You must tell her tomorrow again. <laughs> and then the ladies go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like one guy says, yeah, but I did tell you I love you when, you know, 30 years ago when we got married. <laughs> Why do we say it? Because we, we forget and we need to remind ourselves where our priorities is. That's why worship is so important when we worship God. We don't just go through a couple of songs when we come to the service because we just want to get the time out, you know? Oh, that's a good song. Oh, no, no, James, that, that beat was, you know, that wedding thing, ready, ready. Why do you sing it so many times? We sang it once. Why should we sing it five times? Five times. Be ready, be ready yourself, man. You know? But we, especially as guys, we need to hear it often, eh? Why do we worship? Not because it changes God, but because it aligns ourselves with who He is. And then immediately we begin to believe. Immediately we begin to say, wow, God is strong. That's why God gives us a whole Bible full of promises. Some are unconditional and some are conditional. Some of those are signs that will follow those who believe. Listen to this in Mark chapter 16. And these signs will follow those who believe. Who believes? Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Okay, I think most of you. Some of you. If you don't, there's an opportunity at the end to respond. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. They went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. If you're going to do things for God, if you're going to have quiet time for God because you want to prove something or you want to get your identity, you're always going to fail. But if you realize, like, you're actually working with God. The Lord working with them. So they needed to preach. They needed to go out and lay hands on people. They needed to be bold. They needed to step out, you know. 
and confirming, and the Lord confirming the word they preached through the accompanying signs. The Lord is waiting, is watching over his word to perform it. But he wants a mouth to speak it. He wants you to speak that life. And these amazing things, not just do you work with God, but there's accompanying signs (laughs) that will follow. We never follow the signs, okay? We follow the Lord and we work with him. But I have an expectation that what I read in this Bible is true and it still happens today. (laughs) I mean, hello, anyone out there? Hello. Because if I'm going to just choose some pages that's comfortable, I'm going to be in trouble. If I'm going to take out the miracles and the supernatural of the ministry of Jesus, just of Jesus, I have to take out about 50% just of the New Testament. This is true. And we can believe it. Not just because he says we must believe it, but did you know that this is the best history book ever written? This is the best factual book about history that has ever been written. There are more manuscripts of the Bible that's been passed down than any other book that has ever been written. So some people say, no, this is just a book you should believe. No, this is factual. This is history. This is the real story. That's why we call it His Story. His Story. History. Did you get that? Some of you are a bit not awake today. We're part of history. His story. And the crazy part is, this isn't just a figment of my imagination. This is history. There's a guy, Josh McDowell, who wrote a book, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You can go Google it online. Go watch the YouTube thing. It's one hour. And it tells you why you can believe the Bible. Not because it's an idea, but because it's factually true. This is truth. This is life-changing, and it's the one book that has withstood the test of time. And so what is God requiring of us? He says, you need to be hungry, and your hunger for God will determine how much you will receive from Him. The Bible says, you draw near to Him, and then He will draw near to you. Say, I must draw near to God. Come on, especially the single people. If you're going to approach a lady like that, she's going to bat you. Come on, I want the guys to man up a little bit here, you know? Be confident. If I draw near to God, He will draw near to me. Wow. It says, seek, ask, knock. It means there's stuff you need to go and find, there's stuff that's. Behind doors that needs to open up. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. But see what? We get so distracted that we lose our hunger for God. We lose our hunger for the things of the Holy Spirit. We lose that cause of Christ. And then we just become Mr. Bean Christians. We're just like, okay. No, no, there's just some super spiritual Christians out there. And God only uses them. Or I go for my hype at church. And I get my little injection at church. But for the rest... I've lost my hunger. If I give you five plates of food, by the third plate, you're going to lose your taste for that food. Don't, won't you agree? 
we did this let's go coffee and they invited us about five or six years to go coffee tasting here in Franschhoek. I made a mistake. This is a confession. I didn't know that you're not supposed to swallow all the coffee. So they give this little shots. What's it, James? You're a coffee snob. Cortado. What do you drink? Do you drink a cortado? That wasn't a word of knowledge. I know what he drinks. But so it's like this thing that is so, if you just look at the coffee, you already get a shock. You don't even need to put your mouth to it. You know, it's so strong. But so now they come and now we have to taste all the coffee stuff from South America and from Egypt and Kenya. And so now we need to work out the Let's Go brand, you know. So we're all sitting there around the table. And this guy just brings these coffee cortados one after the other. So the first one, he says, it tastes a bit creamy. I say, yeah, yeah, I can, I can taste that. The second one, he says, it, it tastes a bit like this and this and this. And then he goes on. After the fourth one, I think like, lost my taste bud but let's just go on tasting so i just swallow i just swallow the coffee i just go on i think i probably drank like 500 milliliters of coffee i don't know how much that night 3 a.m my heart goes like doof, 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 doof. i say jesus i'm gonna see you soon something is happening to me that i've never experienced before 4 a.m. I'm still sitting still like goof goof. But now the, my heart is not going like this side. My heart is going this side. So I know that it's shifted. My heart has moved this way, you know. And then I thought like, oh. And then it went down. I won't explain to you what happened after that. <laughs> but that was around about 4.30 a.m. Because I realized I killed my taste buds. And caffeine, many 500 milliliters of caffeine is not good for you, you know. So don't try that. What's the point I'm trying to make? If you fill your life with other stuff, you will lose your hunger for God. You feed your appetite. You create your own appetite. So some people say, like, I don't read the Bible. I don't like reading the Bible. You know why? Because you never read the Bible. But the more you're going to read the Bible, the more hungry you're going to get. Why? Because you're creating a taste bud for this. I don't like olives. And I especially don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't think I'll ever develop a taste for Brussels sprouts, but maybe for olives. Have you eaten Brussels sprouts? I think it's from the devil. It's a test for your, for your life. I hope nobody, you know. We used to farm next to somebody that made Brussels sprouts, farmed with Brussels sprouts. And then the tunny would bring that boxes of Brussels sprouts. I still get nightmares over Brussels sprouts. You know, this is like small stuff. It goes down, but it stops here, and then you can't go any further. But in any case, hungry for God, here we go. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For you speaks in a tongue, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But you prophesy speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but you prophesy edifies the church. It's a chapter on where Paul helps the church to differentiate between the gifts of the Holy Spirit which was there to edify the church and the prayer language of the believer to edify himself but he starts in verse 1 and you must do the school of the supernatural if you want to know more because there we teach you about all the gifts that he outlines in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we practice them because it's still real it's still happening we're still part of the fastest growing church in the world the church is not growing in the west the church is not growing in America. The church is not growing in Europe. But the church is growing in Brazil. 
And most of them are spirit-filled believers. Of those 200 million, more than 70 million are charismatic Christians that love God, including the president. Tomorrow we're getting on a plane to Malawi and meeting the president in this week. Spirit-filled man that loves Jesus. And he prays for the nation. Oh. But he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Not to confuse you. Not that we run after those things, but what are you desiring of God? <laughs> Always starts with the relationship with him, intimacy with him. You have to stir that desire inside of you. You have to get yourself around people that are fanatics for Jesus. Because the desires of the people around you will start to, you know, we all do that. You sit around and it's like, I'm so less for ice cream. I'm so, what? I'm so lust for ice cream. No, that's not the right word. <laughs> I, am, I desire ice cream. And then, oh, wait, this one, ladies. Chocolate. <laughs> Nine o'clock at night. Oh, pregnant ladies, they, they extreme. Peter, Eva, do you have a craving, Eva? Coke. Chocolate. When your wife gets, like, pregnant, when she asks you something, you do it immediately. <laughs> and when she gets that craving for chocolate, you drive <laughs> over the whole Western Cape. And if there's nothing in the Western Cape, you go to Gauteng. Because you, know? you will find chocolate 12 o'clock at night. That craving is strong. Yeah? But you're just sitting with somebody and that person says like, I would like a piece of chocolate now. And everybody goes like, mmm. Suddenly, your community determines desire. And if you just surround yourself with people that never talk about Christ, they never want to put him number one, do you know what's going to start to happen? Slowly you're going to get isolated. Slowly you're going to just become a worldly carnal Christian. You love Jesus in your heart. You know, there was a big guy that sinned as a pastor. He fell into sin. He was a big TV evangelist in America many years ago. And this one interviewer went to him in prison. And he asked him, because it, it was major, it was all over the news in America. It was, he was a big guy in the church circles, evangelical circles in America. And so he stole money, was into adultery, all of that stuff. And so the interviewer went with him, a Christian guy went to him and said, like, let's say Peter, let's say his name is Peter. Peter, how could this happen to you? And then Peter said the following to him, he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. But somewhere I stopped fearing him. And then I started to fill my life with other things. Slowly. Slowly. Over time. The last slide. Are you still with me? 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 and 7. There's a, there's a scriptural thing. The Bible talks about encouraging. But here Paul writes to Timothy. 
And Timothy is like his spiritual son, and he says to him, hey, you have many, there are many instructors and teachers, but there are not many fathers. There are not many people that care for you. And I want to encourage you, if you're a young person here, come to the morning services, come and ask the older people here to lay hands on you, the parsons here sitting, or Donnie and Dupi's over there. There's a lot of older people. Here's Marie and them. Lots of older people. Yichu and Gushay. Lots of older people. Just ask them, hey, just lay hands on me sometimes, yeah? Or Chris and Adele, they come here every Sunday evening. Or Um John there at the back. Um John received good news last week, eh? That he's completely healed of cancer. So we praise God with you, Um John. And so the tumor was four centimeters and it's down to... One centimeter square. There's Louis and Liesel. They look like they're permanently on honeymoon and their kids are all out of school already. <laughs> but it's crazy, you know. And so, if ever there's a time for this, is for us to, as the church, not to go for events, but to actually, like Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, I remind you, Timothy. This is what I'm doing here tonight. I'm reminding you to stir up the gift that is inside of you. <laughs> It's fanning the flame. It's like taking a little wood and then you throw more wood on it and you... And the thing looks like it's going to die and you go like, oh, this is the only wood. We once went to Cool Bay, you know, and I remember we forgot. We took everything. We took a ton of meat, but we forgot to take enough matches. So we only had two. Have you ever had that experience? You go like, poof, and the first one dies and everybody goes like, oh. Pray, 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 intercede, intercede, you know, and then everybody comes around, and, and then that second one goes like, and everybody goes like, no wind, no wind, because the wind always blows in the strand. I don't know why people come to December and holiday to the strand. The wind always blows there, and the cool boys, so, but we're going like fanning the flame, and everybody stands around, and everybody comes around, and like, and then the fire comes, and everybody goes like, me time, not me time, meat time, you know, and then like, shh, and you like throw the wood on there, and it's just like, and he's like, wow, fire, then as, as if it is the first fire that has ever been made, you know, the stone age or whatever age, those people are like, ooh, what is this, you know, oh, it burns, uh, you know, but in any case, I'm just making a joke, I'm having too much fun tonight, but in any case, because some people like, I don't know where you are at, maybe you're out there in outer space, but he says, fan the flame, you need people to come and stand around that flame that promises in your life. People that believe in what God has spoken over your life. People that agree with that. People that fan the flame. But Paul writes to Timothy, he says, you have to stir up that gift. It's, the Holy Spirit is not going to fall on you and, oh, you're going to shake and then you can feel excited. It's slowly you need to get that flame going. Slowly you need to stir up. And then he says this, this verse 7, he says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We quote that verse, but we forget the one before that. He says, Timothy, many people will intimidate you. Spirit of fear, it's actually called the spirit of intimidation that will come against you. And God has given you a spirit not of that intimidation or fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. But your responsibility you have to stir the flame. You have to keep the promises awake. You have to write it on the wall, write it in your journal, 
pray over it. Speak it. And that's why we need other people because sometimes you're going to get discouraged. Sometimes you're going to forget and then other people need to say, hey, remember what God told you. Remember what he said over your life. Come on. Hebrews 10 says it like this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's why the church is there. So that when you come to church, it's not just like, oh, listen to the short man in front and see if his jokes is nice. It's simply to stir other people up. To say, hey, you have a gift. Are you using that gift? And that's where obedience comes in. Because, hey, you can sing. Sing! No, you can't sing. Prophesy! No, no, you can't prophesy. Hey, poetry, whatever you're good at. Do it for Jesus, I mean. Scripture says when we come to church, each one has a song, each one has a hymn, each one has something in your heart that God has placed there that's a gift to the church and a gift to minister to Him. And maybe it's to pack chairs, but hallelujah, pack those chairs for Jesus. But see, when we become comfortable, we forget to stir. We become professional Christians. And then eventually we forget the cause of Christ, why we're here. And that's why the stats is horrific. Most people in the Western church never talks to anybody in the world about who Jesus is. Because sometimes we expect this major breakthrough. We expect God is going to strike lightning in between us and this person. This person is going to fall on the ground and realize they were always almost dead. And now you have this opportunity to minister to them. I met a lady... She's 75, or she was 75, those two or three, no, five years ago. So probably she's 80 now. But she would just go into the streets there in Cape Town at Green Market. And then she'll take a big canvas and she'll just pray. She says, God, I can draw pictures. And then she'll go and she will, on this blank canvas, she'll just draw pictures. She says, God, I'm going to draw a picture for one person today. And then every Saturday, that one person will end up coming, walking by, looking at this thing that she's painted, and then just start breaking down in tears. And then she'll minister to her. and says, God made a whole painting just for you. But see, we've lost our edge as the church. Because we want some entertainment. We want somebody to psych us up and then next week we go to the internet download because that sermon is better and that guy is better and that course is better and then we do all the courses and all that stuff. And Paul says, throw up the gift. How hungry are you? And so that's the invitation that God has is what are you going to present to Jesus one day? Because you're going to stand there. Josh, I'm not going to be there. You can't say, oh, the pastor. Call the pastor. You're going to have FaceTime with Jesus. And he says, what did you do with that fish and that bread in your hand? Come, let me pray over it. Don't tell me there was nobody else that brought food. But there was one boy. One boy said, I'm going to give my fish and my bread. And when Jesus prays over it, it will multiply. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. 
go to www.chevronline.tv to download and share. Sing.